Hi, everyone, and welcome back to She's a Boss Podcast. So Sham and I both enjoyed a much-needed break from podcasting over the summer, um, although it wasn't much of a break because we were both really hitting the gas on our careers and on some changes in both of our lives. So we'll be publishing an episode pretty soon where we'll give you guys a quick update on what we've been up to. But for now, we're both really pumped to be kicking off Season 5 and Episode number 59 today. So Sham's getting us started this season with a big one. This is her chat with the CEO, sorry, COO slash Global Head of Strategy for AIG, Marissa Naidu. Here's Sham. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to She's the Boss podcast. And today, I am so super thrilled to speak to Narissa Naidu. Now, I have always been in awe of Narissa. I've known her since about, I think, 2012. And everything that she's achieved and everything she has done and everything she continues to do, um, like secretly formed a little fan club for her. I don't have enough time today to espouse all her credentials and everything that she has already achieved. So I'll have to compress it as best as I can. Uh, Narissa hails from South Africa and was originally trained as an engineer. And we'll just let her tell us more about her career transition from engineering and how she's adapted to everything along the way. She serves on various boards and is currently the Global Head of Strategy and Chief Operating Officer at AIG. Welcome to the show, Narissa. Hi, Shauna. Thank you for having me. I feel very honored uh, to, to be on this. So thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's it's just amazing to have you here and to, to hear from you again. She, um, Narissa is based in New York and London, which just means she traverses all over the place. And uh, on that note, Narissa, I just am so super excited to learn more about you. And I'm sure our audience is so eager to. Um, tell us about the beginning. So you were born in South Africa. You became a super duper engineer. Tell us what happened right from that point onwards. Yeah, um, so I'm fifth generation South African. I think a lot of people uh, are curious about my background. So I have Indian ancestry, but um, you know, I'm, I was born in South Africa and grew up there. Um, I think I stumbled across engineering, so I can't take all the credit for even doing engineering, um, but I was a scholarship holder uh, academic scholarship holder and that sort of got me to engineering and I worked in my first job was a steel at a steel plant uh, for the metal group which if you know uh, how steel making works and uh, the traditional nuances of uh, of you know being in a male dominated world like steel making it was really intimidating for me as a 20 year old to walk into a plant uh, but a steel plant at that. And so I, I suppose that's where I developed uh, some of the grit and uh, self-confidence and perseverance and re resilience. I owe it to my steel making job, I would say. And two years later, I moved into management consulting. So I started working for Accenture um, in their financial services strategy group. And I would say that that job was my window to the world so i started traveling for work um, with them i moved to london um, i also moved with them to new york um, and you know i got to see the world in a very different way coming from a country that was very isolated 
um, you know, very, I want to say, conservative and slightly regressive in our policies because when I grew up and even when I graduated, it was still on the outs, like, I want to say the dregs, but also, you know, just coming into a new democracy uh, and and fighting, I would say, the to break the chains of apartheid. So Accenture afforded me a lot of global opportunity, but also to admire and uh, different cultures and meet wonderful people. And that's probably where I expanded my network. Um, you sort of went into answering, you know, one of the questions that I had next, which was, um, you know, how did you transition from South Africa out into the world? And, and you just explained it so much that South Africa did for some time sit on the edges of it. We did not meet many South Africans in various capacities. And, uh, but everyone that you met was always super ambitious, and super, um, you know, dynamic as you are. And uh, it's great to see that, you know, you could jump into a career path that brought you to some of the greatest cities in the world as well. Yeah, I will say some of it was obviously unplanned. Um, and and that's why I say I, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunities some companies have given me. But you're right, because of the history of the country, a lot of South Africans didn't have, um, you know, just, I want to say blind opportunity to leave, regardless of your race or you know, um, the political situation definitely impeded the ability to have global conversations and global experience. And so I'm very lucky that I got that opportunity with, with Accenture. Um, and then, you know, like you said, I think the people that do leave are very hungry for exploring and understanding how the world works. And part of that is because we were isolated for such a long time. And so there's this curiosity in us to want to know about it. Yeah, but I think one, I'm sure there was luck involved in getting you out to different spots, but it's also your talent and your tenacity, Marissa. By the time I, I, I knew of you, you were already a rock star in New York. So <laughs> you, you've already been rocking it for some time now. Um, but tell us about what you do now, what's the influence you have now in your current role? Yeah, so after Accenture, I moved to, well, with Accenture, I moved to New York. And a year after I moved there, I, um, one of my friends that was in my MBA introduced me to AIG. And so I stumbled across an opportunity to work for them, which at the time, I. I thought was relevant for me to move out of consulting. Um, you know, as much as it's an adventure, there comes a point where you say, okay, it's it's time to do something different. And and I think the timing was right uh, then to, to move. And so I moved to AIG to do global restructuring and have sort of had a few roles with them. Uh, my current role though is I lead um, strategy for the group and with that, I actually um, kind of orchestrate plans op operationally, but for the company on how we should work, uh, our customer strategy, um, and you know how our international businesses operate compared to our North American business, which is very big. 
But so you, you work in a global role for AIG currently, don't you? Yes, yes, I do. Um, and and I was also trying to simplify it as much as I can. There's many things that I do there. I was going to say, though, the one thing that's very important to me, not part of my day-to-day -day job, but that I really enjoy is being on our diversity and inclusion groups. And so I am um, a chapter lead, as we call them, but you know, a, in a leadership role, uh, in our a women's in our women's group, uh, I also do a lot of work in um, kind of young professionals, African American group, and uh, I'm a member of our LGBTQ. I know that sounds like a lot, but I feel like people in my role or even more senior um, should aspire to think about how we create impacts on those. Um, I want to say resource groups and how that impacts our business. It's it's selfishly, it's all for the impact of the business, right? If you have a culturally a better, high performing business, you see that very tangibly in your workforce, in your results. And so because of the history of my country and my background, um, it's also something that I'm very passionate about. My role has afforded me to be in some of those leadership roles. And so I enjoy that too. I think besides just the business sense, you personally, I think you're just very keen to lend your talents into various things. I, I see that because I also know you, you're very passionate about things and want to make sure that you can help others along the way. Um, but I, you've built just a, a phenomenal career and you're one of the women who are at the top. You're, you're you've done very well you've built your way all the way up there um have you ever felt isolated or lonely um can you tell us how you enjoy it uh, live it or how you cope with it yeah i i do feel i don't know if i feel lonely but there are points when you do feel isolated or you know you feel like no one understands you <laughs> um and that doesn't mean necessarily that a woman, another woman being there would would necessarily understand everything you're going through. But sometimes there's comfort in knowing that someone else has walked what you've walked and you could have a, you know, a sympathetic ear to something that you're going through. So sometimes I do feel that um, in certain situations, it can be isolated and lonely because people, men, my peers, not intentionally, may not think of angles or the manner in which we're conducting ourselves uh, could be intrusive or could be, um, you know, offensive in some cases. And so for me, I generally am very outspoken and I always say my piece and I always correct even my staff if something, you know, even being said in jest is not something that's uh, part of our our ethics or values, or mine at least. Um, and that's sort of how I get by managing it. I do feel like women in senior positions have to fight a little bit harder, myself included, when we need to get points across. Um, in senior meetings, I, I do have instances where people try to mansplain things to me. And it's about finding that balance, but also being resilient. And I think throughout my career, that's definitely one of the words I use for myself, which is demonstrate resilience 
um, you know, to the situation, and usually it works itself out. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that also I think I've come into, and I'm sure it's the same for you. The earlier stage of the career, you just get along with it, and then you reach somewhere and you realize that you people are watching you. So it's also a little bit more onus on you to set the standards for other women. Do you feel that same way? I do. I also think that people sometimes put pressure on you as a woman, sometimes in, uh, you know, in a leadership position that you have to behave this way and be demanding. What I try to speak to people, both men and women, is that, you know, I am here as an example to both genders to show you that it shouldn't be really be about genders. It should be about capability and how we're working. But absolutely, you know, this is one of the reasons why I mentioned the chapter lead for the women's ERG. I would like to be that example for women starting off who need counsel, who need advice. I mentioned to you that, you know, I was very, I feel I was very lucky even in my Accenture career that I had the opportunities I did. I wasn't necessarily groomed to understand those opportunities or in hindsight, I would, I would, I would be like, oh, that's what I should have done and this is what I should always do. And so creating that type of mentorship for up-and-coming women is something that I am trying to do. But I do also set the boundaries to say, this is not, you know, you and, and me having a complaining session about men. It's definitely not that. It's about understanding how we work in the workplace. And my duty is also to help coach men through that to make them more understanding and understand how they can also empower women as they as they go up the ranks. So so I see yeah. it as a twofold thing. And I, I think also just in this conversation, Nerissa, I've heard you say a few times you've brought up a lot of um, you know, a lot of very deep feelings, but very deep rooted in where you're from and how that's, you know, the different perceptions you've formed being outside in the world. Do you also see yourself as a a mentor for then other Africans or other people from South Africa, regardless of gender. I, I do love what you said, that you just break the barrier. Don't think about whether you're male or female. Just get on with it. Let's see how we're going to make, you know, what we do better. And that's just my side note to the question, which is do you also see yourself as a mentor, as someone that also works with people when it comes to um, those coming out of the, the continent? Absolutely. Um, like I said, I do understand the constraints that they have and not all, but some of the constraints that they have and, you know, how hard it is, especially from my beloved continent, how difficult it can be to break some of those barriers to even move internationally. Uh, you know, politics will tell you there are definitely stereotypes about uh, the continent and, and its capabilities. And so I do still currently mentor a few people um, that I've worked with, that I've encountered, but I have also uh, made it a bit more global because, you know, like I said, my role is global. And whenever I have interactions with people who, who have asked my advice, I try to make sure that, you know, it's not a duty, but I kind of feel like it is. And so I do my duty in giving them counsel and advising them so that, you know, they can have some of the opportunities that I stumbled on. So long-winded, but the short answer is yes, I, I do I do provide that where, where I can. I'm lucky in that I have had um, 
you know, international. My my master's studies and postgrad studies have been international, and so usually I tap into that network to see how I can expand, uh, you know, my mentorship if people are interested. And so, based on when I was in London Business School or NYU, I, um, you know, I mentor people from from different countries based on on some of that network too. I think what's going to happen after this conversation, um, Larissa, is there's going to be a lot of people emailing you <laughs> whether you can be their mentor or not. I'm um, more than happy. More than happy. <laughs> yeah, but you see, you and, and that's something that's amazing about yourself as well. You studied both at um, the London Business School and at um, NYU Stern. So the, the breadth of where your education comes from also just spans continents in itself, which brings me to something else that I know about you. You're quite the globe trotter. You're all over the place. It's hard to pin you down like you should have a little tracker. <laughs> you are. Um, tell us what does it for you? Is it people? Is it cities? Is it food? <laughs> it's all of the above. I think that coming back to the tracker, my mom would love you if you said that because you know her, her posts are, hi, how are you? Where are you now? <laughs> So, so she would personally love it if you if you put a track on me. Um, but honestly, one of the one of the biggest differentiators for me is definitely the culture. I really love interacting with people and understanding, you know, what makes them not just tick, but what are their influences. And maybe it's also because that has dictated and shaped a lot of what I'm about. And so I really enjoy that. I definitely love the food. You have met me. You have seen how much I love. <laughs> so, so I love trying foods, and um, you know. But, but similarly, it's it's whatever the action is. Definitely, what's close to my to mind and my heart is interacting with people and getting to know what that place is about. And I think that automatically also has just made you so much more easygoing, I think, for people to meet and speak to regardless of which culture they come from, because mostly you've just been to about every country in the world. So, <laughs> I, I definitely have a few more to tick off, but uh, yes, that helps. And I do feel like in a global role like mine, it's, it's equally important to have that understanding, you know, not naming and shaming, but I have colleagues who who do things in a very specific way, you know, the British way or the American way or whatever. And when you go to places like, say, Asia, you realize that people are very different. Their desires are very different. Their ambitions are very different. They have cultural responsibilities that are different to your own. And understanding them that and then putting that in a work situation only lends to you, you know, I, this sounds bad, but it only lends to you getting the best out of them. Because if you understand what makes them tick, understand how they work and, you know, even some of their societal or family constraints, then you can manage and maneuver around all of that and still have them be the best, them best performing selves for you. And so that's something that's close to me. And maybe it's also because whenever I introduce myself, there's a seven minute conversation about where I'm from, why I look the way I do, but sound very different. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. <laughs> Where's your accent from? It's unidentifiable. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so 
that's why I kind of make it a priority to understand, you know, the people and, and what drives them. And, and I feel that that's important for any leader today, especially one where the world is smaller than it used to be. And, and you need to, um, you know, you need to adapt and cater for that. Absolutely. Um, Narissa, I, I read an article which where you had been interviewed, and I will link the article in the show notes of this particular episode. But it, it talked in your article, you talked about advocates in your mm-hmm. life. Um, and that really intrigued me. It, it, it provoked a lot of conversation between me and people that I know as well about advocates in our lives. And um, I'd like you to take a little bit of time to, to yeah, express what that means to you. And I'm, I'm really keen to hear more from you personally right now. Yeah, I do think that, you know, advocates today are one of the biggest game changers. So often people, um, you know, even if there's wrong in this world, we sort of put our heads down and we're like, oh yeah, you know, somebody else will deal with that or somebody else will push this person or, you know, whatever the combination of it is, whether it's politics, at work, in your home, etc. And drawing on that article, you know, I was lucky in that both my parents were very strong advocates, allies for me and my life and my ambitions. Um, And I know the article talks specifically about it was centered around male advocates. and, And that's one of the reasons why I mentioned my father. But it was definitely, you know, both my parents that led quite a bit and mentored me as best they could to, to want to, you know, be ambition, ambitious and not necessarily just fit into the cultural societal norms like, oh, get married when you're 20 or, you know, study, but then don't forget priorities to have kids or whatever, whatever the example is, because there's nothing wrong with any of those choices, but they made it a choice. And and I think that was nice as opposed to forcing it onto me. But coming back to the importance of, of, of allies and advocates, I, I feel like, you know, today where everybody wants to be a YouTube star or an Instagram hero or whatever you call those, giving people an understanding of their choices and how they don't have to necessarily do what their parents did or their society is doing is so important because it gives them the courage to break those stereotypes and norms and then allows for us to, one, have conversations like this, but two, for for societies and even organizations to progress to, you know, pass the stereotypes of our CEO is a, is a white male or, you know, our CEO is a European expat. And I feel like, ha- you know, knowing that me, as an example, is in the corner of, say, a lot of my staff who work internationally is a powerful thing and something that you have to strive to do. And like I said, I was very lucky that my parents pushed me to do that. And so if I go back to, you know, early 80s, 90s, where where I grew up, even doing what they used to call male-oriented subjects was a big deal. And, you know, my dad was at school telling them that she doesn't want to do sewing, she wants to do technical drawing was such a big leap of faith in me, in my capabilities, but also it was so empowering to have my dad do that for me. And it sounds like the simplest thing in the world and also sounds so archaic now that I talk about it. But it's having those simple examples to fall back on to to understand that people believe in you and that you can change the norms. 
I hate sewing generally, so I'm really glad that my oh, I hear you, sister. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, so you know, I, I know I'm belaboring the point a bit, but I do feel like, as part of that article, I was really lucky that, you know, they 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 did allow me to do whatever I wanted to do, and even me doing engineering, I had my dad's uncles for example say oh you know what what is engineering going to do for you like why don't you become a teacher or why don't you you know do something that i had no interest in um and i'm really glad that they stuck to their guns and and they supported me the way they did i remember my father being very proud of me and telling people that i mowed the lawn <laughs> yeah. yeah but little did he know that i was actually really not very happy about having to move along. But anyway, it's just a point in like traditionally what's considered male and female. Um, what about current allies and advocates in your life? I'm sure your, I know your parents are still very big sports of yours, but who else? Of course, my husband. And, uh, you know, I, I am really grateful for meeting someone who I never have to apologize for who I am. Um, and I say this in the best context, because I don't think, you know, all, all men are like this. I, I certainly know your husband and he's equally supportive and amazing. Um, but my husband understands that I am really ambitious, that I love my job, that, you know, where I, I am today is not where I'm going to land and retire. And I have bigger goals for myself. And never once did he think or say to me, I should say, oh, you know, well, we're going to have to have a discussion at some point about who's going to concede in our careers or it's time for you now to slow down things that my extended family have sometimes told me by the way uh you know like distant aunts and uncles who have no idea who i am but um you know distant he, aunts and uncles are just amazing across cultures <laughs> yes you see them once in a, in 10 years and and that's the one thing they have to say to you but um but, you know, he's never done that. And we have equal responsibilities at home or, you know, whatever it is. And all of our plans in life are an equal discussion. And I feel that a lot of times, and I know this even with some of my friends in great jobs in New York or, or London or wherever, they have this self-imposed um, rhetoric where they believe that they have to be the default sacrifice or they have to um you know make concessions because now they're in this partnership and it's not a fault if you want to do that that's fine that's your prerogative but i'm really happy that you know i can have a conversation with my husband where i'm not competing in any way and also that we take those decisions jointly and that he believes in me you know so even if i'm i'm, I'm going for an interview uh just because he's the one saying, you know, make sure you tell them all these things, make sure they know how great you are, because you deserve the next job that you're going to get. And I feel that that's so settling for yourself, because you never want to be at loggerheads with the person that, you know, is in your home. So you have stresses at work, and then you come home, and you're having similar disempowering arguments. And, and so for me, foundationally, I'm so glad I have that. And then obviously, you know, there wasn't a, I know I'm a fighter, but at the end of the day, I've obviously had bosses who have supported me and advocated for me and, 
I'm very grateful for that because as resilient as you can be, if people want in power want to push you down, they can. And obviously we haven't touched on 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 that a lot, but I'm very, very grateful for the advocates that I've had, male and female, who, you know, have have seen some potential in me but have advocated for the for the for me to be sometimes just being in the right time, the right place and meeting the right people, I suppose, have just helped you move a little bit along the way, just like the rest of us. And uh yeah, because a lot of times, and I think I, I said this before, which is people could see that, but they don't necessarily want to support you through it. And so mm-hmm. having those people not just believe, but then actively do something about it is is powerful. And, and I'm very grateful for that. I think it's it's also one of those things. That, and I presume that you're that way now, like so that when you identify it and anyone else you see around you, you're very quick to give them a little bit of the push that they might need at that point. Yeah. And, you know, the lesson I also learned is that not everyone wants to be pushed. That is true. (laughs) So I had somebody who was amazing and I kept on saying, you know, here's the three extra things that we're going to give you because I want you to get promoted and I want you to do this. And one day, you know, like a, it was just a normal, um, I think it was like a goal setting session or something. And he said, you know, I really don't have those ambitions and I don't re- want to do all the things that you want to do or that you want me to do. Uh, even if I stay in this position for 10 years, I'm happy with that. And I was like, oh, okay. And that was my lesson on, you know, understanding the situation, but advocating in a manner that the person wants you to advocate. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, tell us a little bit, like you've, you've mentioned, like this trying to, give someone advice which they did not want to listen um, <laughs> to. Um, but talk to us a little bit about, um, in general, in your career, what you've considered as failures. Maybe give us a particular example of, you know, and what you've taken from it, how it's humbled you. So definitely there's a work-life balance element that I have um, I have learned from the hard way you know, being put up work for six weeks because you unnaturally developed a blood clot due to stress is something that I have done. (laughs) Um, For me, you know, one of the lessons is success has a, has a prior, you know, has a price, but you need to balance that. And so it's no use being, um, you know, unwell and, and then being super successful or being so isolated because, getting promoted is the greatest thing and you've isolated everyone around you. And so I, while I haven't had the latter, I've definitely had the former where I was ill having worked, you know, 20 hour days for many months, uh, including the weekends and had so much of stress that my body reacted. And it's at times like those that you realize I need to tone it down a bit for myself because Maybe I'm superhuman, but not right now. And, you know, that was definitely an eye-opening thing for me where I did feel I was invincible. um, And I needed to just take it down a peg because I was sacrificing myself and my health to get to where I wanted to go. And, you know, that wasn't conducive or sustainable. I'm very sorry to hear about um, the fact that you felt ill, Marissa, but I guess in that same breath, I'm glad that, also that gave you perspective. I know it sounds a bit 
awful for me to say that oh, I'm glad you fell ill so that you could <laughs> put your life in perspective, but that's not what I mean. No, I, I totally understand what you're you getting at. And for me, you know, that's why I'm saying it it was it could have been worse. I recovered, everything is fine. Um but it was definitely I'm glad the lesson happened sooner rather than later because mm -hmm. You know, you never know. I mean, what if it were, would ended up being a heart attack, or or what if, you know, something drastic happened in another way? And so, I'm glad I had the lesson when I did. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So that one's a bit more, you know, profound. It's it's much more deep thought. Um, tell us about successes. I mean, I know we've over the course of this conversation, we've sort of step by step, like hinted at different things that have been nice successes in your life but what do you consider as one of the biggest successes um you know one of the big successes i have at the moment is i have a, a, a very diverse team in terms of this i have departments that are very different from each other um not just in personality but in outputs and I think getting people to work together and, you know, formulating a plan globally that they're, they all believe in, but also you don't have to be there and managing them every day. They're, they're genuinely interested and coalescing around each other in a, in a positive way. I feel like that is a major success for me. That sounds very obvious, but it's easier said than done. And I, I do know when people have different desires and ambitions and and the the organizations are as mixed as as a AIG in terms of you know global and um different groups and different wants it's not as easy to formulate and so i'm very proud of the fact that my groups are very together you know community based uh, they support each other and and so that you know it wasn't always that way either and so I'm I'm very proud of the fact that they are that way. I think, you know, coming back to some of the highlights career-wise, I would definitely say that, you know, having worked in so many places, I'm very proud of the fact that I have led uh, groups through big change and that people have also, you know, followed my leadership. So even if I have changed companies, uh, they've believed in me and they've also either come to the other company or they've supported me or they've had a desire to want to work with me again. And that's a testament to good leadership it's because that's not something that you can command. And once you break that relationship, um, leaving a company or a country, that comes on a voluntary basis and so I'm very proud of the fact that I've got colleagues who I've worked with in the past who have asked to work for me again um you know so so I, would... <laughs> I think that one's quite obvious I'm quite sure people are happy to come in <laughs> yes I think we're all waiting for you to like you know set up your own little resort in the Maldives or something and everybody's going to quit whatever they're doing in front of you <laughs> I'm sure Nilesh, my husband, would be so happy if that ever happened. He loves the Maldives. <laughs> yeah, then you can just set up, make sure you, we all have great internet connection and then we'll be there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, tell us what you share as advice. Um, the bulk of our business are women, of course, but uh, 
across the board? Um, you share as a bit of advice you know i would definitely talk about believing in yourself so half the time as strong as we are and 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 when we believe in ourselves there are moments when we have doubts and i do think in those moments when we're vulnerable we can um you know i know a lot of the times it's salary negotiation is is the time that we're vulnerable or um you know, asking for the promotion and, and women specifically struggle with this. We struggle to ask for what we want in a very concise, direct way. We may ask, but we beat around the bush. <laughs> and I've learned over time that, you know, our male colleagues don't, maybe they're nervous, but they don't show it. And they are very demanding. They're still earning much more than us. That's one of the things. Right. right. But even then, they're still demanding more and they're still asking for more. And we just we shy away from that and so i would say have confidence in what you believe and what you you know obviously have evidence too it's not it's not blind uh belief here but with some calculated facts but believe in yourself and believe in you know in asking and and have the courage to ask because even the most confident woman that i've met sometimes struggle with that and like i use the example of you know, salary or promotion, these are the two areas that I found consistently that women don't advocate for themselves as much. And the second part, you know, is even if you get a no, it's not quite dating, but you know, you can always, well, shop around is the second part, but you can always ask, well, why, when, how, and then make a decision as to whether there's longevity for you in a place or whether you need to think about you know, other other things like changing jobs. You owe it to yourself to be that focused and that, you know, ruthless, if I want to say, because these are conversations about your career and your life and your livelihood. And no one is going to make those sacrifices except yourself. But a lot of the times we shy away from the discussion or we don't want to upset our bosses. And so we concede, you know, even if you think I deserve this more than whomever else is in the in the pipeline for that promotion or that raise. But we shy away from it because we just don't believe we should be that confrontational. And so I would say that that would be one of the biggest pieces of advice or takeaways that I have learned, especially as I've gotten more senior, because those those discussions become more and more difficult as you become senior. And mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so I would say that's the biggest piece. So, that I don't, concede, don't be shy. Believe in yourself. Go for it. Yes. Yes. And speak up. Obviously, you have to say what you what you want. No one's going to. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Larissa, it's been so great to chat with you. I cannot believe that the time has just flown by like this. Um, how do we get in touch with you? Would it be email or? Yes, I'm very happy. Uh, you have my email, Sham. I'm very happy. Marissa and I do at gmail.com. I'll share that on the show notes, of course. Yes. That'd be the quickest way for people to um, Absolutely. talk to you. If you'd like to stalk me on LinkedIn, contact me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, email is probably the best because I would never oh, want okay. to of course, stalk your career on LinkedIn to see what's happening. <laughs> Yeah, so email or LinkedIn or whatever type of communication is fine. I, uh, I uh, you know, kind of don't necessarily give my phone number because sometimes I've had two o'clock in the morning phone calls given whichever time zone I'm in. So email is perfect. 
No, I'm quite sure email and LinkedIn is probably the better way to get to you. Narissa, you know, thank you so, so much. It's been so humbling to listen to you talk to us about how you've made this great career for yourself and how, as a woman, you're really rocking it at the top. And uh, you're an inspiration, and I'm sure all our listeners are going to absolutely enjoy listening to your journey. Thank you again for taking the time to speak to us today. It was my pleasure and really I am very humbled and, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, it was my pleasure. Bye. And thank you all for listening to Choose a Boss Podcast. Goodbye.